So Nehemiah, chapter 2. A long time ago, in about 586 BC, that's quite a long time ago, it had all gone wrong for God's people. The Babylonians had come. Solomon's temple had been reduced to rubble. The city gates around that walled city had been left as just charred, burnt timber. The city walls had been demolished. And the people of Israel had been taken off into captivity about a thousand miles away. It's not just into the next country. It had all gone wrong. But we don't let our past shape our future, do we? And decades later, some of the exiles returned uh, to Jerusalem under the leadership of a fellow called Zerubbabel. <clears throat> and they eventually succeeded in rebuilding the temple. And then decades later, some of the other exiles returned under uh, so Ezra, nearly a century later. And when they arrived, they found that those who had gone before and their descendants were in a bit of a spiritual and moral mess. So Ezra's response was to begin to teach the word of God. He was teaching them. And they began slowly to rebuild again. This time they were rebuilding their lives spiritually. And then after Ezra, Nehemiah made his appearance in Jerusalem. And we heard last week, Nehemiah had received that commission from God to rebuild. And this time, it was to rebuild those demolished, decayed, broken down walls and the gates of Jerusalem. They'd rebuilt the temple, they'd rebuilt spiritually, and now they needed to rebuild the city walls. Let, let's, read, um, from, let's read from Nehemiah chapter 2. It should appear on the screen behind me. I'm going to read from verse 7 to the end of the, end of the chapter. So it's a, it's a little bit, there's a little bit there, but bear with me. So Nehemiah's speaking, he said, also said to him, he's talking to the king. Right, if you remember last week, he'd had that bit of that audience with the king, and the king had agreed for him to go back to, it, to his ancestor's home to rebuild. And he said, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have a letter to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And... May I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, so he'll give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. Well, he's pushing it a bit now. He wants, he wants his own house as well. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governor of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letter. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. So he got even more than he asked for. He got a, he got a sort of a, a, a protection. He got a guard to go with him. Verse 10 says, When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, 
they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. They're the bad guys, right? They crop up a few times through this story. Verse 11, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I hadn't told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate. You always wonder what went through that gate, don't you? Or maybe not. Examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool. But there was not enough room for my mount to get through. You just imagine the, the piles of rubble and the, the mess and the, the, the desolation as, he's, dry, as he's, he's sort of trying to pick his way through the, uh, the broken down walls. So he said, so I went up the valley by night examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials didn't know where I'd gone or what I was doing because as yet, I'd said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any other who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sambalit the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab, there's another one now, there's three of them, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Well, he's not, is he? Because he had permission, but they didn't know that. I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. I'm just going to pray for us. Jesus, I pray you'd teach us and change us and challenge us through this narrative through this story through this account let let it apply to our lives and let us put stuff into practice as you speak to us as you speak through me i pray you'd use me in some way to challenge lives amen one of the first things nehemiah did was to fix his focus that's the, my first heading to fix his focus um, verse 12 said, he said, Nehemiah speaking, said, Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. In chapter 1, which Chris looked at last week, we read that Nehemiah had a calling from God, that he was a man who knew how to get alone with God. It was such a challenge, wasn't it? He didn't rush into it once God had spoke to him. He spent months in prayer. We get an idea of his character when we see Nehemiah fasting and praying and weeping. 
and he heard from God what to do and he did it. He'd fixed his focus. He knew what needed doing and where he was going because God had given him a vision. What about you? Have you fixed your focus on what God has for you? Do you know the direction he has for your life? Nehemiah spent months in prayer before God until it was settled in him. Or maybe you just sort of wander aimlessly through life. You know, just put it into neutral and just see where it, where it goes. Just coasting along. But what has God got for you to do? You know, he's got a plan for your life just as much as he had for Nehemiah's life. He's got a plan for us as City Hope Church, hasn't he? I'm so excited. I'm so, I'm so honoured that God has put me in this church. To, that, that I'm part of us here, every single one of you, that you're my family. I love it. My God has got things for us to do together. He's prepared things in advance for each of us. He's got a direction he wants us to go in. How are we going to find out what it is? Nia's example is a good one. Looking back to chapter 1, he prayed. He fasted. He spent time with God. Do you know, there's not many shortcuts, really. That's what we have to do. And I love doing that corporately. And we've already heard the encouragement from Chris and we've seen the announcement. You have the opportunity. We have the opportunity to gather together on Friday evening to do that, to pray, set the TV to record. I don't know what's on on a Friday night. The cat program at nine o'clock. Definitely record that. Are you on it, Sue? Oh, you, you have been in the past, though. She's been, yeah, it does make a change. She's on a few of their programs. But let's gather together. Can I encourage you? Think about coming to pray from 8 till 10.30 on Friday evening. Should we do it? It's a, a challenger. I dare you. So let's... <laughs> you know, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we read these words. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Because he's God, he can do that. He can choose us before the foundation of the earth. He can know us before he's even made the world. And he can decide things for us to do. It's amazing, isn't it? And there's people, and because of their shape by their past, sometimes they think, well, I'm no good, I can't do that. You know, you don't understand what my childhood was like. You don't understand what it was like growing up where I lived. I, I, I can't do that stuff. And we discount ourselves. Think, no, God has prepared things in advance for us to do, and he has equipped us to do those things as well. He's, he's, he, will, he will give you all the tools you need to do the things he's prepared for you to do in advance. It's so good, isn't it? He doesn't just say, go and crack on with it. You're useless, but anyway. No, he wants to change us. He wants to work in us to do those very things he's prepared for us to do. I love it. So don't discount yourself. 
God has a role for you. Look around, as you look around this church, you think, I am part of this church. You're not on the edge. You're not a second division. Right? We're all in this together. Different ones doing different things, different tasks. But he has a plan for every single one of us. Just as he had a plan for Nehemiah when he was getting on. He had a good job, didn't he? Right? He was hanging out with a king. He was in an exalted company. But God had something for him to do. And he did it. You know, so many people just get up in the morning, gulp down their coffee, have a quick look at Facebook, go and, you know, fight the commute to, to work, however you do that, come home, take a paracetamol, watch the news, uh, eat their dinner, watch a bit more telly, go to bed, and the next day it all starts over again, and then we go to church on Sunday. Is that what God wants for us? Of course he's put us in the workplace, but he's got things prepared for us t- to do. Let's pray for that culture change we're talking about. Let's pray for that culture change for us as a church. Let's pray to be culture changers in the workplace. And we, the other day we heard from, from Tim and Ruth how they've done that in their context at work. They've changed culture. It's so exciting, isn't it? God has something greater for you. He has something greater for me. Wherever we find ourselves, we know there's more because we have a great God. Right? He, he moves us from one degree of glory to the next. Always. It's, it's an exciting thing. There's something more wonderful for us as City Hope. Fix your focus on the purpose of God. Nehemiah said, God has laid something on my heart. As we listen to him, in prayer he will lay something on your heart he'll speak to you because he does because he's alive and he's active and he will speak not only did Nehemiah fix his focus but he also found the facts can you see where this is going don't you love alliteration right he found the facts he was realistic In verses 13 and 15 of that chapter 2, it says, At night I went out through the valley gate towards the Jackowell and the Dungate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. He he went out on a fact-finding mission, and as he inspects the walls of the city... The cold reality of life in Jerusalem at that point must have hit home. You know, once he's gathered those facts, you think, oh, blimey, well, look at the state of this place. It's worse than I thought. He'd never lived there. He didn't know what it was like. He's turned up and seen this mess. Now he's got a realistic assessment of what needs doing. The cold reality of life in Jerusalem. The ruins, the walls around the city, the symbol of strength and security, the, 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 the majesty of it, it's, it's gone. Without walls, without strong walls, we leave ourselves open to the enemy, don't we? That, that city was open for an enemy just to waltz through. We're weak without protection. We have to be realistic. 
And you think, let, let, let's apply that to our personal lives. There's a reality for those people to build up physical walls to, for, of protection and a declaration of power and strength and authority. But what about us as individuals? What walls do we need to rebuild around our lives? I think one of those is a wall of prayer. I think we've heard it so many times in different contexts as a church to pray, to pray as individuals, to gather together in, in our connect, connect groups and in different contexts. And every now and again, we gather corporately to pray. Hear the call. Let's build up the wall of prayer as City Hope. Who knows what will happen when we do that? Understanding Scripture, reading Scripture, seeing what God is saying to us through the Word of God. Listen, it's not the Bible ain't a history book. It's living and active. Let's build up that wall of of, of, of regularly reading and digging into the Bible. It's a discipline as well, isn't it? And that's a bad word sometimes. But let's crack on and build up. That will be a strong wall around you as you pray, as you feast on the Bible. What else can we build up? Relationships. The wall of strong, healthy relationships. We have an enemy who would like nothing more than to break up our friendships and our marriages and our relationships with our wider families. The devil would love that. Let's work hard at building up a strong wall of strong relationships, one with another. Let's be quick to forgive. Let's be quick to honour one another. Let's be quick to love one another. It was so good. For those of us who came on, on Wednesday night for that gospel life thing where, where, where Tim and Ruth had us looking one another in the eye, oh, saying nice things to one another, right? just honouring one another. And as a response, we had to look them back and say, have you got anything else you want to say to me? <laughs> but how good was that? If those, for those of you who were there, how good was that? Well, did you find that strengthening? Was it, it's relationship building, isn't it? You can't, if you're saying nice things to someone, if you're honouring them, and you're pick, pulling out the good things of them, then it's, it, you're strengthening your relationship. We should be doing this all the time, shouldn't we? That's building up strong walls around us. We don't want those walls to be piles of rubble and burnt timber. Strong, healthy relationships are so important. Without them, we open ourselves up to the enemy's attack. So maybe we should all do in our own lives what Nehemiah did with that fallen down city of Jerusalem. Do a survey. Do a realistic survey of your own life. Maybe before you have your dinner today, sit down and think, yeah, I need to, I need to work on that. That's, I've let that go. I used to be really good reading the Bible, but you know, I, need to change, I need to change what I'm doing because I've got to get that in. I'm going to put more time to prayer. I'm going to, I'm going to phone someone right now and tell them how great they are. Those things, they're just three things I've highlighted, right? But let's build up the city, the city walls of our own lives. So not only did Nehemiah fix his focus, find the facts. Do you know what else he did? 
he did that later on, John, to cl- calm down. <laughs> We're getting there in, in the true order of things. <laughs> he did forge some friendships first, though. Oh, thank you for that, Rebecca. <clears throat> I was trying to find some more alliteration. Rebecca, help me out. He forged some friendships. He got people to help him. He wasn't a lone ranger on his own. Verse 17, Nehemiah's saying, Then I said to him, You see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. When he went round on on his his, his survey, he took a few people with him. Not not everyone, but he he had a group of friends. He forged some friendships. He must have known that there's strength in numbers. It's good, isn't it, to have mates with you, to have friends alongside you. That's strength in unity, that people you know you can rely on, people you can turn to in times of need. Some people, and some people like to try and do it on their own. We have a sort of independent streak. But we should be dependent, shouldn't we? Obviously, firstly, on him. But he builds us in community. And we should be, and that's countercultural in the, in the West, to be in community, dependent on one another, loving one another, serving one another. It goes back to that honouring one another thing as a community, as part of our culture change as a church. So even though God had called this cupbearer to the king over in Susa, He'd called him to lead that moment. He wasn't a leader as such, was he, up to that point? Now God has put leadership on him, and he said, come on, but we're going to do this together. He led by drawing others alongside him. We can do more together than any one of us can do on our own. Lord, give us success. And I'm sure many in here can think of people that have spoken into their life and supported them and encouraged them in their Christian, uh, Christian walk with God, you know. Let's do that to other people. We think back to people who helped us and challenged us. I mean, I, I can remember one particular guy used to tell me off all the time because I was pretty rubbish, really. Just, I didn't know how to handle my money. I didn't know how to be a father or a dad in the early days, but they helped me. Help me! This, this guy showed me how to read the Bible. I didn't know how to read the Bible. Couldn't even pay an electricity bill. Right? But other people drew alongside me, and they supported me, and they encouraged me, and they helped me. They taught me all sorts of things. Let's do that for one another. Let's build a strength and a unity and a together. Let's forge some friendships. The next one. It's not your. Not there yet, John. The next one. He fortified his faith. Oh, and he fortified their faith as well, actually. So in, in, in verse 18, he's, he's, he's encouraged them. He said, he said, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. He's told them what happened back in Susa. I was praying and God spoke to me and God's hand was on me and I went to the king and the king, the king responded positively. He said I could go back and he'd he, he done all this stuff. Can you see that? And he's told them. He's, 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 he's fortifying his faith by telling them, reminding himself, if you like. But those his hearers who are, are living in a fallen down city, you are, I'm, I'm sure were despondent. You think, oh, Jerusalem, look at the state of it. 
And then he's saying, no, come on. God spoke back there. Um, and, you know, it, it, that four-month or so journey, a thousand miles back to Jerusalem. He said, I'm here now. And we can do this. We can rebuild this. And th- their response once he told them was, let's start rebuilding. That's what they replied, let's start rebuilding. So they began this good work, it says at the end of verse 18. But don't you love that? Where he says to them, the gracious hand of my God was on me. Don't you want that? Don't you want that to be your testimony? You can say, yeah, the gracious hand of my God is on me. What security in that? And Nehemiah reminded them of what the king had said to him. You know, he'd got the king's permission to go. I mean, is, the, the, you, you can't picture, I can't imagine it, the, the king with absolute rule and power. And he's cupbearer, giving him this audacious request to go back to rebuild his ancestor's city. Right? And so, but the king gives him permission. And, the, and, and the, the king gives him permission, and then he offers him protection. I told you I like alliteration. It, it, because he sends his cavalry and his officers with him, and, and, and he had the king's provision as well, where he, he gave him a ticket to go and, you know, give him a, 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 an invoice to go and get timber to rebuild. Right? So, so the King Artaxerxes, that foreign king, had given him permission and protection and provision. It doesn't. It doesn't um, alliterate, though, Ralph. So it doesn't count. <laughs> Artaxerxes, his assistants. That's right. Um, we have permission. In fact, we have a commission. And we have protection, and we have provision, not from King Artaxerxes, but from the King of Kings, from Jesus Himself who calls us. He, he gives us, like I say, permission or commission to go. He will protect us. He will protect us. We don't go alone. And he has provided all we need according to his riches in glory, hasn't he? Jesus who suffered and died in our place. The Jesus who bought our forgiveness with his precious blood. The Jesus who loved us before the foundation of the earth. He's with us. He protects us. He provides for us. He calls us to go. He knew that those people needed to be fortified in their faith, don't we? I always want encouraging. Yeah, I can do this. That's why we need one another. That's why we need the word of God. Speaking to us. No one, not, not ever, well, I say no one. Lots of people don't like change, me included. Right? I'd, rather, I'd rather stick with the status quo. Who wants it to be new and different? Right? But you need people to say, come on, we've got to rebuild this. We've got to bring change. Right? We've got to do it. When Denise, was, when Denise was at school, there was a sign on the wall of her class which says, you can if you think you can. Right? And she always used to say to me, but that was nonsense because I knew I can't because I know I can't. You think? But with Jesus, we can. Right? We can do it. If God is leading, if God's gracious hand is on me, then it can be done. And don't discount yourself. Right? Don't, don't let your past shape your future. 
You don't think, oh, yeah, but you don't know. I never even went to school. I, this happened to me. That happened to me. I couldn't. It doesn't matter. God is with you. His gracious hand is upon you. Nehemiah reviewed the past so that he could face the future. In his actions, he's saying, listen, the God of yesterday is the same as the God of today and the same as the God of tomorrow. He knows it. We know it, don't we? So we've got to live in the good of that. So not only did Nehemiah fortify his faith and their faith, what did he do, John? He faced the foe, he did. <laughs> verses 19 and 20, the last two verses of that chapter, was when Sambalat and his mates come back on the scene. It says, when Sambalat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them, Nehemiah said. I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. Right? When we're facing difficulty, when we're facing opposition, we can say the same thing. The God of heaven will give me success. Whenever God's people take on new tasks, you know, when they do something dramatic, like I'm going to plant a church or something like that, or a new initiative, how often have you seen there's opposition? And it comes in all sorts of sneaky, underhand ways because we have an enemy who doesn't stick to the Geneva Convention, right? Horrible, horrible attacks that you wouldn't expect. Your children aren't safe, are they, it seems, sometimes? How many times, Chris, how many times have you been up the hospital with your kids, right, even in recent weeks? Loads of times, isn't it? And I'm sure others can testify similar things. Stuff happens, and it's, it's designed by an enemy to knock us off course when we're trying to do what he's called us to do. Relationships have been broken. You think, how did that happen? Right? Because we have an enemy who wants to damage what we are and what we have and what we are going to do. When God calls us to build his kingdom, do you think it's going to be easy? We're foolish to think it's going to be easy all the time. There's a battle. We're in a battle. Not against flesh and blood, we know that. But we're in a battle. We're in a grim conflict. And we must be aware of that. And so often, when I forget it, you think that's when it comes again, that, 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 that knife in the side, whatever it might be. That Sambala and Tobiah and that Geshem trying to dig us out all the time. And I'm sure as this series continues, you'll see more of those guys. We face a foe who, who hates us, despises us. We're coming against the demonized, mobilized forces of hell. That may sound really dramatic, but it's true. How are we going to cope? What are we going to do? We need to do what we said we was going to do when we rebuilt the walls. We need to be diligent in our prayer. We need to feast on the word of God and then put it into practice. We need to work hard at our relationships one with another to stay strong. 
we need to say get behind me Satan at times you know the devil the devil has loads of names through scripture he's a deceiver he's a liar he's a murderer he's an accuser he's a tempter he's a destroyer he's the evil one let's not be unaware of his schemes don't let opposition discourage you don't think oh it's gone wrong again actually we can turn that around and think ah the devil's opposing us we must be doing something right seriously we must be doing something right if he's trying to dig us out and remember we are on victory side Jesus won the victory for us. We don't think, oh no, how's this going to go? I don't know the end of this story. We, who's going to win this? We, he's already won it. And we need to walk in the good of that. You can clap if you're not, not me, but clap him. Right? Face your foe with faith. Nehemiah answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. My prayer is the God of heaven will give City Hope success in all our new ventures as we try and, as we, as we, as we go about changing the culture of this church, as we go about seeing the kingdom advance, as we go about seeing the communities we connect with transformed by the power of the gospel. God give us success. So let's be people who fix our focus on what is at hand. Let's not be unaware. Let's be, let's, let, let's be aware of the facts. Let's forge friendships one with another. Let's make sure we work together. And let's continue to fortify our own faith and the faith of those, those around us. And let's face the foe square on because we are the winners. Amen. Let me pray. Jesus, it is a privilege to be numbered amongst your people. I thank you for choosing us before the foundation of the earth. I thank you that you don't leave us. I thank you for your patience towards us. Thank you for your forgiveness the amount of times I've mucked it up and you just forgive and you forgive and you forgive Lord and thank you for the, the vision that you've given us the calling on our lives to see your kingdom advance so many different people of different backgrounds with different skills and different experiences and you gather us all together as a local church to work, to work it all out it's an honour to be part of this Jesus and I pray for success for us grant us success I ask in Jesus name Amen